podcast. Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. Hey, this is Nadia. And we are the Queer Arabs. Um, I'm Saudi American and a lesbian. I'm Lebanese American, queer, yeah, a dancer, choreographer, writer. And then we have Hodi Saad um, in Lebanon joining us. Hello, Hodi. Yeah. Thank you for being Hello. here. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for calling. We're really excited to talk to Hodi. Uh, we we had a brief conversation uh, with emigration when we recorded, and it totally took Hodi off guard. But <laughs> Hodi was like, "Well, I'll do it." Someone just calls you and is like, "Hi, do you want to talk to someone you don't know on a podcast?" And he's like, "Why not?" But yeah, you were such a good sport for doing it, and we really appreciate it. And now we get more time with you, so we're excited. Exactly. So Hodi is a Vogue dancer in Beirut, and I know Nadia, you've been following him for a long time, right? Yeah, I think you're awesome. Thank you. I agree. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think we, we met in, in one of my performances with Khansa, if I'm not mistaken. No? Wait. Did you tell um... me? I was there. I saw that video though. Really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe Nadia was like so into it that it felt like she was there. I yeah maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to start out by saying something I I really appreciate is that what you've mentioned to us before is that you you take the time to explain where voguing comes from when you have students mm -hmm. uh, take classes from you. So um, I thought I'd start by asking, can you talk about why you feel it's so important to give people that background, you know, in addition to teaching the dance itself? Uh, because most of the students here, they do not know the background of voguing and some of them, they just find it interesting or they've just seen a couple of videos over the internet or whatsoever. So. I thought it's important to teach the students uh, about the background in order not to lose the, the main part of the ballroom culture. Like, we don't want to exploit it in any way. I don't want anyone to not know some of its history. So that's why, for me, it's it's really important to talk about the history of voguing and the ballroom scene and yeah. educate them in, in any way I can. Yeah. And I force them either to, to read about it and watch videos and watch some balls all in it whenever they can. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. For me, it's, it's really important to do so. Can you give the listeners a little bit of background on voguing? Okay. <laughs> okay, so voguing is a, uh, a modern dance style. It started mm -hmm. in the 70s and early 80s. Mm -hmm. It's a self-expressive kind of uh, dance. It all started in the ballroom scene in New York City by queer people of color, where they used, used to compete in, in the ball with runways and different categories. And voguing was one of the dance categories that they kind of created in order to compete. And when each uh, dancer is on the, on the dance floor battling, they are usually telling a story. And at the same time, they, th they are throwing shade <laughs> at each other. Uh, the name Vogue, it comes from like Vogue magazines. It has a lot of posing and attitude and there's a lot of uh, character in, in, in the movement. And it all started from there and it kept evolving till now. Now it, like, it was only like the old school kind of Vogue back then. And then now we have Voguing Femme and now we have like the new wave Vogue and mm. the dance form, it keeps evolving with time. Oh, 
cool. Nadia, yeah. have you explored voguing much? Yeah, like a little bit. It's, I'm definitely not. I would definitely not consider myself a voguer, but um, yeah, I've like taken some classes and dabbled. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Jason Rodriguez, who is also Slim Ninja, or now he's. I think now he's mm-hmm. in House of Giganza. He's also a contemporary dancer, and he was, like, assisting a choreographer I was working with, and he would, like, use the studios in the off time to, like, do stuff with his book people, and I would be, like, watching and being like, hmm, what's this? I want to pick up on stuff. So, yeah, like, a, lot of, a lot of dancers use voguing nowadays in, their, in, in different dance styles, not, not necessarily just vogue dancers. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. contemporary, like, now includes some voguing elements, uh, even hip-hop dancers, different uh, dance styles, because it's very expressive, I, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Cool. Uh-huh. even dancers find interest in voguing nowadays, like different dancers from different backgrounds. They would love to learn one thing or, or two about the dance form itself. It's really, I I think most people find it interesting nowadays. Definitely, like, gotten into the mainstream commercial dance scene here, but also, like, concert contemporary mm-hmm. dancers are starting to sample it. And I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying, like, the difference between being interested in it and, like, having some, like, exchange and fusion going on. Like in a respectful mm-hmm. way, it's just like exploiting it and not really knowing where exactly. it comes from. That that also happens. Yeah. Exactly. Cody, have you explored other dance styles before discovering voguing? Uh, not really. No, voguing was the first dance style I've danced, and I have zero like background in any dancing. So, oh, wow. uh, and I'm self-taught. So. Uh, I, it started. I started with voguing around seven years ago, and that was it. I yeah. did not fit in in any uh, other kind of uh, dancing. Mm-hmm. I, I find hip hop a bit too masculine for, <laughs> for me. Fair. And uh, voguing was the only kind of dance style that I expressed myself the most in it, yeah. and I connected the most. So yeah, vo- I'm, I'm I'm just a voguing dancer. That's it. <laughs> Could I ask you like a little bit about how you got into it and being self-taught and what that is like? Okay, so I was introduced to voguing by mistake by watching uh, a random YouTube video. It's so weird. And then uh, I started doing my research. I, I watched Paris is Burning and I fell in love with voguing and drag at the same time. Like I was more interested in drag by, by then. But like I kept like watching YouTube videos about voguing and I started dancing. But like there were no tutorials on any kind of videos that taught people how to vogue back then. It took so much time to like download videos, try to watch them like step by step. Mm-hmm. And I also started watching people teaching voguing on, on YouTube to know how they are teaching and the right techniques. And that's how it all started. But I've known voguing for a long time, ever since Vogue Evolution on America's Best Dance Crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I wasn't like aware about like what is voguing and I didn't know like that this kind of dance style existed. I thought it was just like people being feminine on stage. But I was a kid back then, so uh, I did not understand what what was going on until like I was introduced to voguing through Paris's Burning, and ever since I started learning and practicing all by myself on on daily basis, and I took it very serious. Yeah. So yeah, Paris is being introduced a lot of people to voguing, even yeah. though like <laughs> even though like looking back, like a lot of people are like, yeah, that was a really exploitative film, and mm-hmm. it's not wrong. At the same time, like so many people got introduced to the history of it as opposed to just seeing it in a video. I agree. So you've been doing this consistently for seven years. About when did you start teaching? Well, it started by kind of a mistake. At some point, I wanted to rehearse in in a dance studio and I started looking for dance studios that I can rent. 
and we started going me and my friends like two of my friends to uh, a dance studio in Beirut and uh, for some reason there was a ballet dancer over there that knows about poking she's a Russian uh, ballet dancer and she was like what you're doing is very interesting and uh, later on she decided to uh, open her own academy and she gave me a call she was like I want you to teach at my academy if you're interested and I'm like okay but I, I never had like plan in mind to teach and I didn't know if I was capable of teaching mm-hmm. but when she called me and asked me to teach I was like okay I need to take this way more serious and I need to practice I need to become better and you know so uh, I think it happened around five or four years ago oh, but I think wow. it was like four years ago most probably yeah yeah but it was a long it took me so much time to even become like a good teacher <laughs> I'm not gonna lie again I'm, I'm self-taught no one taught me how to vogue so no one taught me how to teach it like I was there was right. no one there yeah. for me to, to give me the moves the right techniques so it was all visual for me and uh, through YouTube videos and and stuff like that but yeah like four years ago I, I started teaching and but then when I started taking it more serious and I felt more comfortable about myself teaching and now I'm I know that I'm a very good teacher because my students are really good now. Oh, yeah, that's a good education. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, but totally. Teaching is its own separate skill in so many ways. What what groups of people are you teaching? Is it like all age groups, all experience levels? Um, Are they mostly people who are doing other styles of dance too or not? Uh, My class is a mix of different age groups, like between 15 and 30 years old, Uh, sometimes even more. I've, I've, I've taught younger kids, but like only workshops and like private classes, but never uh, a regular class or like a social class. And like the most attending students are like in the early 20s, I, I believe. Uh, and the class is a mix of uh, different uh, levels. Some of them have zero background in dancing and they're just attending the class to learn uh, how to dance or even like just to learn how to vogue where some of my students are professional Latin dancers or professional hip-hop dancers or uh, contemporary dancers and they're, they're attending to even either add something uh, new to their portfolio as dancers or just to learn like a new uh, style of dancing. And like being the only voguing class in Lebanon, uh, I'd rather have all my students grouped into one class. Uh, first, they help each other a lot, especially when the choreography is a bit hard. Uh, they do help uh, each other and uh, I believe by having them all in one class I'm creating a connection between them and creating this Vogue community in Beirut of Vogue dancers and I think if I kind of uh, group them into different levels and different classes this connection will be lost one way or the other so basically my class is for everyone literally everyone I know that's kind of its own challenge in terms of teaching to figure out how to make it work for everybody. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard to teach uh, different levels because some people might get the moves really fast and some of them might take them like two, three, four weeks to learn a move. But then again, I cannot divide them into like too many different classes because again, it's like only voguing class and the availability of the studios and the timing and it depends on the people uh, as well like sometimes the class can have two or three people and sometimes it's up to 50 people keep coming and going so it's a it's a challenge for me to teach different styles but the results at the end they speak for themselves so people like even if they have zero background in dancing at the end of the class they know how to vogue and they know how to 
use the elements of voguing, which is great for me. They are able to do so. And some of them take it serious, so they practice on their own and they are more involved in voguing. Some of them are just like into just learning a couple of moves and that's mm-hmm. it, yeah. you know? So it depends on the student and on the person. Whenever you teach a series of classes, like how long is it? Well, we don't follow this kind of of teaching so mainly my class is all year long every week we have a class so and every week we have like we go through all the elements of Vogue and we have a small choreography so it's not like uh, levels or it's not like uh, there's a program and 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 then like new people signing in so it all depends on uh, each week there are different people sometimes in the class some of them are like committed some of them are not so uh, that's how we mainly uh, teach at uh, the academy where I teach wow yeah that, that sounds like a very unique challenge for a teacher to have like, <laughs> it, it, it's it's, it's like, a challenge yeah it's not that easy Maybe we also want to talk about let's like the ballroom scene and um like voguing in that context and how it's been developing there too yeah you want to talk about the ballroom scene ballroom scene here yeah so uh the ballroom scene started in uh, november 2017 uh, i was asked to uh organize an event at a local bar that has to do with voguing, either like uh, a voguing competition or maybe just uh, a show with my dancers. And I was like, why not like uh, throw a mini ball uh, with like voguing category and a runway. And the event was a very successful event. Uh, people loved the runways, loved the voguing category. And we had like a very special category, the freestyle, where it was just an open platform for people to dance or sing or just do stand up comedy or anything that doesn't have to do with uh, voguing or uh, or runways. And ever since then, like we had uh, like nine or eight uh, different balls ever since like 2017. But uh, in the second mini ball, we uh, introduced the, a new category, which is the lip sync category. And here we have like uh, a lot of drag queens. The drag scene is booming at this uh, at this point. So we introduced the lip sync category into the ball, and everyone participated in the lip sync category. And even those who used to vogue back then, they were like they want to do drag and they just want to lip sync. So uh, we stopped the voguing category because we had like no uh, dancers to compete. And the ball was just about runways and performances, either freestyle, like singing or dancing, or like a lip sync uh, category. But it doesn't have to do with only drag queens, like anyone uh, can participate in the lip sync category. But we had no voguing since uh, the second uh, mini ball. And like we had two grand balls with no voguing. Up until uh, a month ago or two, uh, we throw the the Vogue ball. And it was just like a voguing uh, competition with runways as well. And like there was no lip sync, no freestyle or anything that had nothing to do with voguing or runways. And people loved it. Like people showed so much interest in it. Even uh, we had like around 15 uh, voguing dancers uh, practicing and uh, wanting to participate. And hopefully now uh, in the next uh, ball, we'll be introducing voguing again in the next grand ball. And we always have like a drag balls every once uh, in a while, either like... uh, a diva tribute, like let's say Beyonce tribute or like a Gaga tribute uh, drag ball where all the queens perform to like a Gaga song or anything. And uh, the grand ball happens uh, once a year, which is like the biggest uh, the biggest ball. But the ballroom scene now is really big. It's still underground, but like more people are attending, more people are showing uh, support to the event. 
which is really amazing uh, to see this much support from the community and allies. Why do you think drag is catching on faster than voguing? I believe RuPaul Drag Race uh, is like the main uh, reason people now are showing so much interest in drag. Uh, first, because it's becoming uh, too mainstream and uh, people have access to drag shows. Uh, it's on their TVs. It's all over their social media. So uh, it helps in, in changing people's mentalities into accepting drag or knowing what drag is. And... Uh, it's showing a different side of drag as not just like guys impersonating women or dressing up as women and more as uh, an art form because some of them are singers, some of them are dancers, some of them do stand-up comedies, some of them are models, you know, so it's more of like an art form uh, more than just like uh, men dressing up uh, in women clothes. So I think uh, RuPaul Drag Race is the main reason uh, nowadays people are interested or showing uh, so much interest in drag. And also like uh, dancing or voguing, uh, it requires skills and a level of physical ability in order to dance. And not everyone uh, is capable of doing so. So they'd rather uh, uh, lip sync or perform. It's more of a safe zone for them. And they can add some voguing elements to the performance uh, then without uh, being judged and having someone point fingers at them for not doing like the right moves and uh, without having to battle uh, someone else maybe with uh, better skills. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, it looked like your recent mini ball went really well from the posts. The event was amazing. Uh, it was a very successful event. Uh, people had so much fun. Uh, maybe because it's been uh, a while since uh, we've seen like a uh, evoking battle or maybe like a dance battle where two people are on the dance floor uh, dancing together or and competing. So uh, it was, I think it was one of my favorite, if not my favorite ball so far, because of course there's voguing in it. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I love drag, but I'm, I'm, I'm a voguing dancer first. So, uh, and to see uh, this category happening again and seeing like, uh, Vogers in Beirut uh, dancing uh, means so much to me. So uh, it was an amazing event and people loved it. I mean, uh, all the events happening are all about performances. It has like a, co a competitive element, but it's all about like individual performances. But to have like one on one, it was it was very interesting. It's amazing. That's really cool. Do Vogue balls, or I guess balls in general, do they always have a competitive element or not? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a ball, so... Uh, so it's like you have to, to throw shade at each other. Exactly, <laughs> and you're there to snatch a trophy or two or whatever. Right. So, uh, but here in, in Beirut, it's, it's a bit different because being a queer person and whether you're a drag queen or not or a voguing dancer, you don't have that much platforms to showcase what you have. Yeah. Uh, not all clubs would book uh, such performances uh, or and there are like very small amount of bars that are uh, accepting and would host a, a drag event. So the ball is mainly not just a place for them to compete. It's mainly a platform for them to express themselves, to showcase what they have, to create a fan base for, for themselves. Since it's, it's, it's the biggest event that happens for the drag uh, community and the queer community in Beirut. Mm. That's cool. Definitely, there's a, a, a some sort of competition because we have judges. There's scoring and there okay. are trophies and prizes at the end. Some of them like 
are very competitive. They would love to win and they like to snatch the trophies. Some yeah, of them don't yeah. care about that and they are just into the ball. They just want to show up. And at the end of the day, we're making history by doing balls in, in Beirut, you know, and such a, a place where a lot of people are still old fashioned minded and yeah. it's a very conservative community. So so for us to be able to do so uh, is history. That's huge. So, uh, so yeah, so for most people, it's just like they want to be part of this history and they just don't, they don't care about winning or not. Like, have you gotten any negative pushback or is it just you're not doing this in spaces where you would get negative Exactly. We do such events in very protected, safe spaces in Beirut that are queer friendly and basically for, for people from the community. And we have certain rules. I think Emma mentioned some of them in her podcast. We have very strict rules in our polls uh, in order to protect the venue and the people performing and those attending. Like photography like is very restricted. We have our team to take photos and videos. Mm-hmm. But no one in the audience is allowed to take a photo. We even cover like the phone okay. cameras at the door yeah. on the stage we have certain rules for the competitors which uh, which are like no nudity no references of religious stuff or political uh, issues like yeah. we try to you know we try to limit anything that might have a negative impact on the event or on the people or anyone yeah we try to protect that by having certain rules and making everyone follow these rules for their safety, you know? That's definitely so far even we have zero things bad here bad. that are like focused on queer Middle Eastern people. There's like a lot of people make a really conscious effort to be like, no one take photos unless you get everybody's consent because you just mm-hmm. you just don't know what everybody's life is. Um, yeah, you can't you can do that here uh, because we have this thing here in, in Lebanon where if something is very underground and controlled, it's okay to do so. But if it goes on social media and someone makes a fuss out of it, it's a huge problem, you know? Right. Like certain clubs closed because of that, like wow. because they had a performer that showed like uh, a boob or whatever. And then because it went on social media a couple of months after, they would make a huge uh, deal out of it and they would close the club and call the people that were involved or, you know? Yeah. So in order not to go there, that's why we put these rules to uh, limit anyone saying anything negative about the performer or calling us for uh, breaking any kind of, you know, rules that they don't agree on, you know? And I also hear you about wanting to make things not more political than they already are, because just the Mm -hmm. existence of this can can be political. Exactly. It is political, just doing this. But we don't have to mention names of politicians or anything about what's going on. Like, there's no need to get attention from such people totally makes sense you know earlier you mentioned that like the ballroom scene is like starting to get attention from like people who are outside the queer community but are maybe interested in dragon voguing and are supportive do you feel like that is having i don't know like a wider social impact in terms of queer acceptance outside performance or definitely definitely the ball has uh, an, a huge impact on the people attending. Some of them are not from the gay community or the queer community. And uh, they don't even know what drag is. And they don't know anything about the ballroom culture. And they're just attending with their friends or because they've heard about the event. And once they're, uh, well, once they're in the event, they see amazing performers and artists on stage not like just men dressing up as women or feminine guys voguing or whatever 
everyone on on that stage is like a walking piece of art with the makeup and the outfits and the concepts so it it does really help in changing uh, people's mentalities into accepting uh, queer individuals uh, uh, it helps in opening their minds about different sexualities and genders within the LGBT community uh, it shows the diversity that we have uh, so yeah definitely the ball has a huge impact on everyone attending even within the gay community uh, we still have a lot of stereotypical thinking uh, especially coming let's say from gay men with their no femme no fat no asian mentality so by attending let's say the ball or drag shows it kind of helps them understand other individuals within the gay community and it opens their mind into exploring their own sexuality and uh, changing their mentality towards what they think is right by just wanting gay men to be uh, masculine and and so on so it does have a huge impact the ball has a huge impact on everyone attending and hopefully with more events coming uh, it the impact can cover like the whole community and entire society let's say that's great it's really cool the impact that art can have yeah. beyond being a creative outlet it, it can really make a social impact do you have any big events coming up soon uh, yes, we have the Oriental Ball on the 25th of August. Uh, it's an all Arabic inclusive event where all the uh, performances are in Arabic, even the hosting. Uh, so the whole night is like an Arabian night. And it's the first time we do such an event because uh, the events before were a tribute to Lady Gaga, to Madonna, to Rihanna and Beyonce. So uh, to have an event where it's only in Arabic, uh, it's going to be really fun. And mainly the Grand Ball is an open platform, so we cannot restrict people to certain uh, categories in, in, in the performances. So, uh, so yeah, now we have the Oriental Ball coming. What elements will the ball include? Uh, this one is a drag ball, so it's only performances like singing, dancing, and uh, lip sync. But it's not exclusive to uh, drag queens. It's more of an open platform to anyone who would love to perform. Uh, usually the other balls we do have different categories like the Vogue ball is just runways and voguing and the Beirut Grand ball is like the biggest ball so it has runways, it has voguing, it has lip sync category, it has a freestyle category so uh, so yeah cool are you going to perform in that one or be a judge for the voguing well element? i'm the organizer <laughs> yeah so basically yeah me and uh my very close friend cool. her name is sandra we mainly organize these big events awesome but sandra mainly she judges i organize okay. and host the event because yeah. not a lot of people are capable of hosting uh, such events because you know you need to follow up with all the competitors and especially drag queens like you need to know the cues of each queen and wow, what yeah. she or he needs on stage and i'm the only one following up with each performer wow. so that's why i host the event in order to keep everything under control that night and wow. sandra deals with all uh, organizing in the club and logistics okay. and safety measures and all of that yeah, yeah. That's a huge undertaking. Yeah. Incredible. Wow. Also, just hosting takes a lot of energy. It does. <laughs> it, it does. It does. It takes a lot of energy. It takes us a month to prepare for each event. And that night, like, ends in, like, a second. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. After but, all the yeah. preparation, it's, exactly. like, probably feels so short in comparison mm -hmm. to everything. Exactly. It's really cool that you're doing, like, an Arabic-centered event i think there needs to be more like queer content in arabic <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Definitely. Exactly. And we don't know now, since the event is not live, it's not online now. Mm-hmm. So uh, we still don't know how much people are, will, will be interested in, in such an event. Well, maybe the some queens are. shows in New York are taking off, so if that's any Exa- indication. But the thing is, exactly, in New York, they love like when queens do Arabic music and so on. But here, they are more mm-hmm. into the RuPaul yeah. Drag Race related stuff. So they'd rather perform to mainstream tracks pop okay. music and english tracks or whatever okay so they rarely do any kind of uh, arabic uh, songs so that's why we're trying to push yeah. arabic music something that comes from our culture into the ballroom scene and the drag scene i love it so the last mini ball was that something you also organized mainly yeah okay. it, when it comes to mini balls i organize them okay. when it comes to like big grand balls or like uh, drag balls i and sandra organize these uh, events and do you ever have trouble finding a venue or are there enough spaces so far no because sandra is the owner of one of the biggest uh, lgbt friendly clubs in in the middle east nice so that helps in having the venue especially for big events for small events and like mini balls sometimes it's hard to find a proper venue because even Mm -hmm. if it's a mini ball a lot of people attend, like a minimum of 300 would attend the event. So you need like a space wow. that uh, is able to to handle like 300 people attending in addition to the stage and all the, the props that you need to add to the venue. So sometimes it's a hassle to find the right venue and not have people suffocate inside because it's a small space. Mm-hmm. Now that we have uh, a lot of venues that host drag events, but mainly there are small shows, you know, like one or two queens performing and you know and you just go and watch the queens perform but like when it comes to like uh, a big event like a ball it's still a bit hard to find the right venue in order to that fits this much number of people in in one place yeah how do you balance keeping this i i know it's always a challenge like balancing kind of advertising for this and outreach before the Mm -hmm. event with also maintaining the safe space do you usually give advance notice on social media or do you wait like closer to the event? Okay, so mainly when it all starts with the flyer or the post that we are going to share on social media, we don't uh, put any kind of like the word drag or anything LGBT related. It can just be like, mm, for example, smart. Beirut Grand Ball yeah. or, you know, and even the illustration, it, we always use illustrations and not like actual pictures of drag queens or queer individuals. So when it comes when it's an illustration, it's just like a painting or a drawing or whatever. That's when it comes to social for the post itself. And we share it basically on our social medias. Each person uh, shares the event. Those mm-hmm. performing do share the event, friends of friends, you know. And it all it's only that we don't post on other uh, any place other than social mm-hmm. media. And we do not promote the events in any way. But still, a lot of people know about these yeah. events. Uh, yeah. Well, that's good. It sounds like it still reaches people who need yeah, a lot, to a lot hear of about it. I mean, the right it's reaching the right people. Yeah. And I think that's important. Like, Definitely. we don't need more than that. As long as, like, the right people that are part of this culture and this community are uh, knowing about these events, are, are able to attend these events. Totally, yeah. I think that kind of ambiguous advertisement does that. Like, if you know what a Vogue ball is, or if you just know what a Grand Ball is, like, you're probably the right person to be there. And if mm-hmm. you're exactly. not the person who should be there, you're not really going to know what that is. <laughs> exactly, that's it. Natural filter, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's really smart and in keeping things safe. 
Speaking of advising and time management, you're you're in vet school too right now, right? I just graduated. Yes. Oh, congrats! <laughs> Thank you. And you have you have a bunch of pets at home, right? Yeah. And they're your babies. I saw them on your video. They're so adorable. Yeah, um, I'm, I I love exotic animals mainly. So my babies are two pet snakes, this, yeah. <laughs> and rats. <laughs> yeah. Actually, before we end this, Nadia and I thought it would be fun to talk about like what animals we think are the gayest animals. Clearly, flamingos get a trophy. Yes. Yes. And mm -hmm. we want to hear your input, too. Yeah, but also like koalas. Koalas are super gay. Yeah. Yeah, they're gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That, there's a lot. There's a lot that I think are gay. Penguins. Come on. Oh, my God. Penguins. penguins are oh, so God, gay. Yeah. <laughs> Easy one. Uh, parrots, yeah. definitely parrots. Goldfish are gay. Oh, goldfish, yeah. Really? <laughs> I see it. I see it. Yeah. But like, I, I haven't graduated from vet school, so I wouldn't. I didn't learn the part about goldfish being gay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um what's the other one we said? I guess ostriches. Because they look like flamingos. Yeah. Maybe, but I mean, they're not pink, so. They might maybe they're like questions. They're, like, they're like mask for mask. <laughs> mask yeah. for mask, yeah. <laughs> exactly. There we go. This is just amazing. You you're doing all of this, organizing these events and you graduated. It's just mind blowing. Yeah. I, I'm really impressed. Do you get enough sleep? Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I mean I know how to manage and have this balance in my life between that uh my vet life and dancing and organizing these events so like for example during the day i have mainly my vet life and then afternoon till night i focus on my classes my like my dance classes and organizing the events and preparing outfits and so i'm i have this balance i'm maintaining it so far both parts of my of my life are important like vets the vet part is very important to me and yeah. voguing is very important as well so i will not uh stop one for the other right i'd rather keep maintaining this balance uh all the time so uh and, you, yeah, and you still manage to sleep yes good <laughs> what do you have planned next in terms of your career as a vet uh now i'm working I'm already... <laughs> so i yeah well now i'm i'm working at a clinic i have my job but mainly i'm i'm going to specialize in exotic animals in the future so now like i'm just training having some uh, rest from studying yeah maybe in a year i'll be uh continuing my studies in, in exotic and wildlife awesome. hopefully this is really awesome thank you for doing this thank you <laughs> thank you for having me um, how can people follow you? Can you talk, like just give out your social media? Just follow Howdy Sad on Instagram or mm -hmm. Facebook, but mainly on Instagram. I'm you're more active on Instagram. Yeah, I'm more active on Instagram, promoting our events, our shows, uh, everything drag related in Beirut. So Howdy Sad on Instagram, and that's yeah. it. <laughs> Do you perform outside of Lebanon sometimes? Uh, yes, we get to we got to perform uh, in Amsterdam. Me Ooh. and my very close friend Zahal, she's a drag queen. We performed in Paradiso in Amsterdam. Nice. And that's it for now. But hopefully more shows are coming in the near future. Okay. Yes. Yeah, come to come here. I would love to. <laughs> hopefully, you never know. Maybe. 
I mean, I've been planning to go to New York because the most iconic Vogers are in New York and I would love to meet and be part of that. So hopefully in, in the near future, I'll be able to, to visit and meet all those people. And we be will be there this. whenever you're there. Yeah. We'll make sure to be there. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, thank you. And Nadia, where can people follow you? Uh, mostly on Instagram, Nadia in her own world. And you can follow us at the Queer Arabs on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. You can email Ahmed for the Arabic side at thequeerarabsinarabic at gmail.com. And our website is thequeerarabs.com. <laughs> <laughs>